0: Thanks, Livy. Hey, I'm Ben. I'm one of the pastors at EV. Hey, let's start by praying to God. Let's do that. Join me. Father God, we're so thankful for the world that you've made. We're so thankful for all the good things in this world, all the um, great gifts that you've given us to enjoy. We pray tonight as we think about how to relate well to this world and the good things that you have given us to enjoy, that you'd give us great wisdom. Pray for me, that you'd help me to speak clearly from your word, uh, and that you might do a work in our hearts uh, to show us where to find true satisfaction. Amen. So we've been asking the question over the last few weeks, what brings satisfaction in life? It's this kind of idea, what makes life worthwhile? What makes life good? What, What are the things... And so we've been asking the question and kind of taken some of the things that people have been saying in our culture around us in Auckland and and exploring them and and seeing what would the Bible say about those answers. And today we're thinking about the idea of simple pleasures. Notice there's kind of two bits in that. There's the simple, a a simple life trying to make things less complex. And then there's the idea of pleasures, living for things that actually are enjoyable, that make life good. I don't know what that is for you. Uh, for me, one of the things I love to do in my morning routine is my first sip of coffee. I get up and I kind of uh, hand grind the beans because it tastes better that way. It's like, you know, making pasta from scratch. But that first sip of coffee in the morning, it's just like, oh, you know, it's going to be a good day. Or, you know, sitting by a crackling fire on a winter's night. I'm not sure what it is for you, but there are lots of great pleasures in this world, aren't there, that we have. Um, there's a show that Sophie, my wife and I love to watch on YouTube called Living Big in a Tiny House. Anyone, anyone seen that? Yeah, okay, two people. I, I wonder if I didn't have three little kids, we might like to give that a go one day, uh, but we do, so we probably won't be in a tiny house anytime soon. But the show, it's all about people that have kind of escaped the rat race, sold their like big four-bedroom house in the city in the burbs, and they've gone and uh, moved into a tiny house, which is basically a house that's on a trailer, and you kind of, they're really nice, and these people all kind of now are working less. They're out enjoying the countryside, and they you know, hand-grow their own veggies, and they're kind of living this minimal lifestyle. They're embracing the simple pleasures of life and saying, that's where you find satisfaction in life. The idea behind it, which I think we see in a number of places in our society, is that life is complex and hard. And so we need to do what we can to make it more simple and do the things that we'll actually enjoy. You know, stop living the rat race and stop living for things that you actually really don't find enjoyable. Uh, There's a a French philosopher, Alain de Botton, and he wrote a book called Status Anxiety. It's one of my favorite novels. Uh, And and he speaks about this modern-day phenomenon called status anxiety. Now, what he means by that phrase is to be dissatisfied or anxious about your state in life, your status, and basically to wish that it was different. So in other words, to be dissatisfied. And he says, here's the five things that he says have brought about dissatisfaction for us in our lives today. There's lovelessness, which we talked about last week. So the idea that actually relationships, that we found joy and satisfaction and and friendships and having someone that knows you and cares about you. He talks about snobbery which is the idea that you'll be dissatisfied in, with your life if everyone around you is like looking down on you and judging you. Uh, he talks about expectation, how basically the culture around us shapes what we desire and expect, and if those expectations aren't met, we'll feel dissatisfied. He talks about meritocracy, which is basically the idea that you can be anything you want to be. If you work hard enough, if you apply yourself, uh, and and as the rise of meritocracy kind of has come about in our society, it puts a lot of pressure on you because you can aim to be whatever you want to be if you're smart enough, if you work hard enough, but it actually brings a lot of pressure to life. And the last one he talks about is dependence, the idea that actually so much of your life is outside of your control. And actually, that can be dissatisfying when you, life doesn't go the way you want it to, do, to go, but you can't actually do anything about it. And it's particularly the third reason that I want to kind of zoom in on and take a look at tonight, expectations. See, so much of our culture here in, in Auckland is all about the accumulation of wealth and possessions. Possessions. And what we do is we assess how we're going based on those around us. See, no one looks at like a celebrity influencer on Instagram and and is jealous of them. I mean, maybe a little bit, but we just, we get it. Their lives are different to ours. But if our friend at uni is going on like a nice overseas trip to Fiji, gee, that gives us a bit of a pang of jealousy. Or, you know, that that person, your neighbor gets a new car that you see every morning as you kind of come out of your apartment. We feel that, don't we? Uh, It's this idea of... Actually, with the Industrial Revolution, with the move into cities, with the kind of, we've never been more wealthy and had more stuff than at any point in history. And so we've got increased expectations about what we need in order to find satisfaction in life. The luxuries of a hundred years ago became the kind of decencies of yesteryear, became the necessities of today. Can you imagine your life if you didn't have a smartphone? Can you imagine? Or a washing machine, or just the kind of basics that we would take for granted uh, that, that people have never had in all of human history up until really recently. See, we have increased expectations. And, and these expectations, they're not just in the area of possessions, but also lifestyle. See, people didn't used to have a choice on what they were going to do. If your, your parents are a bakers, what are you going to be? A baker, right? That was how history worked all up until really recently, the last hundred years or so. If parents are farmers, what are you going to do with your life? You're going to be a farmer. But basically, today, like we talked about, you can be anything if you apply yourself. And so it's a great blessing, but also potential for dissatisfaction. I could be a physicist if I wanted to. But if I went and tried to do that, I'd probably find out that I wasn't smart enough and I should have done more maths in high school. And so there's this great uh, danger that we might be dissatisfied with the idea that we can be anything, uh, but maybe we can't make it. See, one writer put it like this. He said, satisfaction in life is reality minus expectations. See, I can do whatever I want to do, but if the reality of my life isn't met by my expectations, I will feel dissatisfied. And it's in the the face of this reality minus expectations for satisfaction that we feel this pressure to keep up, to hustle, to grind, to be the person that everyone else thinks you should be and to to live the good life. Uh, And it's no wonder in the midst of all of that that we get this idea that it would be better to just live for the simple life to just trying to live for the the good moments in life, the simple pleasures, and stop worrying about all those expectations that others, that you put on yourself. And so that's the first point tonight, is that the idea of finding satisfaction in simple pleasures is a good answer. I think there's something really good answer. When faced with the pressure and stress and a mortgage and a 55-hour week uh, to fill a house with stuff, but you're never there because you're at work all the time, there's a right pushback to the kind of voice that's in the back of our culture that says more, more, more. There's a right pushback there. Does anyone remember this person? Yeah? If you don't, I don't know what you were doing in 2021. That's Marie Kondo. She rose to fame with her Netflix special during lockdown. And she had a simple message. Her message was this. If it doesn't spark joy for you, Get rid of it. Keep the things in your life that will spark joy. And, and she kind of brought this message that said that the simple pleasures of kind of minimal living and an organized house make life worthwhile. And Sophie, my wife, uh, has, has uh, still applied a lot of that to our life today. And every week she comes home with a different kind of storage organizer or, or thing to put storage organizers into. And I'm like, what are we going to do with all these different... She, she loves that kind of storage organizing. We do little... Does anyone else do the fold your clothes into that little thing? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Okay, you know what? Yeah, we've got some Marie Kondo Sands nodding. There's a few reasons... Why I think that this idea of living a simple life, living for simple pleasures, is actually a good answer. The first one is it's more sustainable. See, if you're satisfied with simple things, rather than always chasing after the newest gadgets and the newest things and the latest experiences, it'll probably be better for your wallet and the environment. right? If you're not always buying new fashion every season and chasing after the greatest experiences, it's more sustainable. But second, it's also actually easier. Right, it's easier to be satisfied in life if you're satisfied by simple things. I mean, I think that's quite self-explanatory. But you know, if you're if you are satisfied looking at a beautiful sunset and going on a hike and you know going out to the Waitikis or going to an op shop and finding a new kind of item of clothing that you love, it'll be much easier for you to be satisfied by those kind of simple pleasures, won't it? If you've got to go and get the latest iPhone every year and go skiing in the Alps, well, that's going to be harder to achieve that satisfaction. So it's actually easier for us if we are satisfied by simple pleasures of life. And I think, thirdly, there's actually something more wholesome and and perhaps healthy about being satisfied by simple pleasures. To be a person that rather than always feeling dissatisfied with what you have and wanting more, actually to be able to reflect and to, to cultivate gratitude and thankfulness for what you have in your life. See, it's a well documented practice that thankfulness leads to better mental health outcomes. That, that's everywhere on social media. On, there's a bunch of different uh, uh, articles that I read, general articles this week about that. The question that I want to ask you if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus is who are you thanking? For lots of our culture, we, we, we think the practice of gratitude is helpful but we just kind of you know, throw it out there into the universe. But if you know Jesus, if you know the God of the universe who sent his son into this world, you know who to thank. And so I kind of encourage you, uh, if you do know and love Jesus, try and cultivate those moments in your life when you can be thankful. Just maybe every day, pick a moment in the day. We try to do it with our family at dinner time. What are you thankful for today? Just ask yourself that question and reflect. And just there's so much goodness in our lives to be thankful for. And we know who to thank the God who's provided it for us. I think, though, the Bible also speaks to the reality of the goodness of the, the simple life, living for finding satisfaction in simple pleasures. See, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11, says this. Christians are to seek to live a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands. See, that passage is not saying it's wrong to have goals and dreams and ambitions for the future. It's not saying that. But it is saying that the posture of the Christian life is is one of thankfulness, one of wanting to support others and and care for them and, and work with your own hands. See, quiet here in 1 Thessalonians 4 is not talking about not speaking or turning down the volume on your life. It's not talking about that. It's referring to this idea of not disturbing the order, of not being a busybody, of not being someone that gives yourself to everything and, and, and finds yourself dissatisfied all the time. That's what it means to live a quiet life, is to be someone that's peaceable, that, that cares for others. You know, It's not saying don't have dreams, but it's saying care about those around you. Work with your own hands so that you can support others. Uh, you know, you should enjoy that cup of tea and a biki and that nice cool breeze on a hot summer's day. Those are good things. We should enjoy those. Um, but the question is do they bring satisfaction in life? Or another way that you could put it is uh, to ask the question will they make your life worth living? those simple pleasures, a simple life. See, we only get one shot at life, don't we? And we want to make sure it counts. Can you imagine uh, someone coming to the end of their life and and lying on their deathbed and reflecting back over their whole life and and, and asking the question, did I live a good life? Did I live a life worth living? See, it would be a tragedy, wouldn't it, at that moment to be reflecting on your own life and and realize, oh, I kind of wasted my life. I don't, I don't know how, if we could even do that like mentally for ourselves. We might find that so hard. No one wants to look back on their life and realize that they wasted it. And it's here that I want to highlight the dangers of living to, for simple pleasures, of finding satisfaction in simple pleasures. See, it's a good answer, but it's not the whole answer. This is the second point. And I know what you're thinking right now. Uh, these guys, are they just down on everything? You know, first relationships and self-improvement. They won't even let me have my simple pleasures, my cup of coffee in the morning. You might be thinking that, but let me unpack with you why I think there's a danger in living for simple pleasures. See, if you seek to find satisfaction in your life by living for simple pleasures, there's a danger that it will shape the direction an orientation of your life in a way that is highly problematic. If you seek to live, to find satisfaction in simple pleasures, it will shape the direction of your life in a way that is highly problematic. See, our culture all around us is subscribing more and more to a pleasure-pain worldview. view. The kind of basic idea is that if something's good, if I enjoy something, I'll do it more. And if something's hard or I don't enjoy it, I'll do it less. That's, that's what we're told. Do the things that you enjoy. Um, it's that, that kind of idea is everywhere now. And so when I make decisions in my life to, to just do things that bring me pleasure and avoid the pain, uh, what we're doing is we're actually caring most about ourselves, In that moment, isn't it? And it doesn't take much work to see where that kind of a worldview leads. See, if every person just cares about themselves and their own pleasure and puts themselves first, it'll probably lead to hurting others. Because if everyone's doing that, the chances are that to do that, you actually have to sacrifice others and and what they would like in order to put yourself first. If I consistently make decisions in my life to live for simple pleasures and, and, and not think about others... I'll actually find that people won't want to be around me as much. I won't be someone that people enjoy hanging out with. And actually chasing my own pleasure, paradoxically, won't lead to a satisfying life. It'll lead to a lonely life. See, the Bible's really aware of our human condition to put ourselves first at the expense of others and actually speaks into that reality. And God has something far better for us. See look at what Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 and 4 says. It says do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. What a paradoxical way to live. That's almost the opposite to living for your own simple pleasures, to put others first, to look out for their interests and their needs, even before your own, to care about someone else's else's pleasure, not your own. See, how could you possibly live like that? If you're doing that, but everyone else is still caring for themselves, you'll get walked on. You'll be a doormat. You, you'll feel like you're constantly giving of yourself and not getting anything back. What could possibly make living that way achievable? Or even if it was achievable, what could make that good? Well, see what the next verse says in verse 5. It says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. See, here's the precious truth that sits at the center of the Christian faith, that Jesus, although he was fully God, equal with God, didn't take that equality as something to be exploited, as something to be lorded over his creation. Instead, he didn't take advantage of that fact, but he gave up the glory and the power and the praise that was due to him as God to take on the likeness of a human, to come into this world as a human to serve, as a servant. See, this is huge for understanding who God is and who we are. See, the gap between God and us is far bigger than the gap between you and an ant. Right, You and an ant are both creatures, you're both finite, you're both going to die at some point, you both don't know everything. I mean, sure, it's a big gap, hopefully, but the gap between you and God is far greater. He's infinite in glory and power and wisdom and the praise and the honor that he deserves, and yet he would give all that up and come and take on human flesh for you. Wow for us. It's and Philippians goes on to speak of Jesus not just taking on human flesh, even that in itself is crazy, but sacrificing himself and his life for us in our place, so that we might have relationship with God again. See that's who God is. He's a sacrificial God. He's a God who's loving, who's giving of himself for us, for our good. See God is love. In Jesus, in his coming into humanity and dying for us, God shows his true colors. God is love. And we're made in the image of God to be like him and and represent him in the world. And Jesus gives us the ultimate example of who God is. Sacrificial, loving, loving, committed to our good, and ultimately to his own glory. We saw in verse 11 that was read out for us. But do you see the problem of living for your own simple pleasures? See, if you're living for yourself on your own simple pleasures, the orientation of your life is focused inward. You're thinking about yourself and, and, and what you can get from the world, and it will put you directly at odds with the God of the universe. He's other person-centered. He, he gives of himself for his own glory, but for our good and sacrificially and out of love. And, and for you to be selfish and self-centered and live for your own pleasures puts you directly at odds with who God is. And see, as you live for yourself, the Bible actually describes that as sin. Sin is just putting yourself first, not God. And and as you live that way, with no regard for the God that made you, it will actually lead to your own destruction, not satisfaction. You won't enjoy the life that God made for you because you won't have God in it. You'll have cut yourself off from him because you're so at odds with who he is. And it comes across in a thousand ways, big and small, but each of us do that. Each of us live lives inwardly focused rather than outwardly, like the God who made us that we're supposed to be made like. See, we won't find satisfaction in life living for our own simple pleasures. And the good news of Christianity is that Jesus doesn't just give us the example of a sacrificial, loving life. See, he actually, at the cross, pays the penalty that we deserved, his death in our place so that we can be right with God, so that God can deal with the problem of our inward-focused, self-centered, pleasure-seeking hearts by giving of himself sacrificially. And all we have to do is trust him, trust his death in our place and the forgiveness that's on offer. But it's more than just an example. It's actually the enabling power of the gospel. See, it frees us if we trust Jesus to live a life where we can put others' interests ahead of our own, even when they don't do it back for us, because Jesus put our interests first. See, there's nothing safer than knowing you are loved by the God of the universe, that he gave of himself for your good in love, sacrificially, that he looked out for you and your interests at the greatest cost. His own life. And so for me then to just live for my own pleasures, inwardly focused, I'm selling myself short. It won't bring satisfaction in my life because the good life is about more than just enjoying simple pleasures. See, if you trust Jesus, it doesn't mean that your life won't be hard. It doesn't mean that you won't have to give of yourself to others to love God, to love others in your life. But if your security and satisfaction is in Jesus and his work, that's that's what you need. That's the enabling power to help you live a life where you can put God first and you can love others. See, this is the whole answer. We were made for much more than just simple pleasures. Yeah, it might be easy to go and just move to a tropical island and sip sip on cocktails on the beach and, and just kind of enjoy the simple pleasures of life. But would that make your life worth living? No, I don't think it would. You've only got one shot at your life. You want to make it count. You want to come into right relationship with the God who made you and and who's called you to love him and love others. See, this is my third point. We were made for a purpose. What I've been suggesting so far is that we were made for a deeper and greater purpose than just our own pleasure. And the danger of living for simple pleasures is that we turn the orientation of our lives inward rather than outward. So many people in our city are thinking about themselves and their own life and have no regard for the God of the universe. And that's a great danger. But simple pleasures don't just fall short. They actually run the danger of distracting us as well. They distract us from what our purpose in life actually is. See, Ecclesiastes, a book of wisdom in the Old Testament, it says this in chapter 7, verse 2. It says, It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, since that is the end of mankind, and the living should take it to heart. Now, I know what you must be thinking. What is wrong with this guy? Like, Who would rather go to a funeral than a party? This guy's a a weirdo. Like, What is he doing? I know where I'd rather be, at the party. But what he's doing, this verse, this bit of wisdom from the Bible, it's picking up on the reality that we would rather be at a party than a funeral. We'd rather enjoy the food and the company and the conversations and the drinks and the the nice moments than deal with the reality of death. That's true, isn't it? A society does everything we can to avoid thinking about death, to push it right to the outskirts, to just focus on the here and now of life with no concern for what comes next. We don't like to take stock of our lives, and instead we distract ourselves with the simple pleasures of our lives so that we don't have to think about the big questions of life. What makes life truly living? If there was a God, what would he think of me? But grief and death and and those kind of events in your life, they actually force you to take stock, to think of the realities of life and ask those big questions. Simple pleasures run the risk of drowning out those moments in our life where we could actually stop and reflect and ask those big questions. I remember a car I used to own. It was a pretty old car. And it had lots of, like, uh, gaps in the windows and the paneling, and uh, the, the windows didn't even close properly. And when I would drive on the freeway, it would just make this, like, bzz, like, creaks and groans and heaps of noise. And it was really, like, quite annoying, and it was a little bit, like, worrisome, like, is my car going to break down? <laughs> but what did I do to fix it? I just put a big subwoofer in the boot and t- turn the music up right up. Because then you just listen to music and you, you can't hear the car and the cracks and the, all the kind of hardnesses. And, and is this car going to break? You don't have to worry about it then. You're just listening to your music. That's what simple pleasures do in our lives. They drown out the hard moments in life. And so when the hard moments come, we we turn to the the, the parties, the the good times with friends, and and we stop ourselves actually grieving and being able to think about life. But you learn more about life at a funeral than at a party, the, the wisdom of Ecclesiastes said. And so can I encourage you today, don't let simple pleasures drown out those big questions in your life. See, this life, the here and now, the 80 years that you have in front of you is minuscule compared to eternity. And the reality of the the Bible that God speaks about is that we were made to know God and love him both now and into eternity. And so don't let those moments that are happening in your life. You might be here searching and exploring Christianity because you have had a really hard moment. God is trying to connect with you and speak to you in the hard moments of life to help you ask the big questions. Don't drown that that, and turn up the noise with simple pleasures. See, our eternity hangs on how we respond to Jesus, The, the, the loving, giving of himself, other person centered. Expression of God in the flesh. See, what will God do with the reality that our basic orientation is opposite to His? He's giving of Himself, we're selfish. What will He do with that? The Bible gives a great answer to that question, and it speaks of the reality of the judgment that we deserve but of the forgiveness and grace that's found in Jesus. That's the life-giving center and hope of the Christian message, is that if your trust is in Jesus, you are safe. See, ultimately, living for simple pleasures, to live even for my own satisfaction, it doesn't just fall short as a way to find satisfaction in life. It's got the question completely wrong. See, the question of what makes a life worth living is a far deeper and better question than what brings satisfaction in life, because that's the one that really matters, what are we made for. We were made for a purpose, and that purpose is to know Jesus, to know the God of the universe and to find security and hope and joy in Him, and to be on about sharing the hope that we have with those around us. God made us to know Him and love Him, and we do that in Jesus. See, so I want to finish tonight with a poem written by a man called C.T. Studd. He was a missionary to China in the kind of early or late 19th century, the 1880s. And he was a wealthy man. And he gave up the wealth and the privilege and all the you know, high society British life to go and tell people about Jesus in China. And he ended up dying in the Congo of some disease that he, he caught there as he was seeking to go and share Jesus with people. And towards the end of his life, he wrote this poem that I'm about to read, reflecting on his experiences of, of how do I think about living for the pleasures of this world in light of eternity, in light of knowing Jesus. And I'm going to read this poem out for you. It's got a few stanzas, so you, the lyrics will be on the screen, or you might want to close your eyes and just reflect on the words. Let's read it together, hey? Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life t'will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, me Lord, with joy to say, only one life twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whatever the strife pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life, t'will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, Thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I'll know, I'll say, 'twas worth it all. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last.' Father God, we are so thankful for who you are. You're the God of the universe, the one worthy of all praise and glory and honor. And you show yourself in the person and work of Jesus to be a God who is love. You pour out your love to us by sending your son Jesus to die in our place. His sacrifice for us that we might come back into relationship with you. We are so thankful for Jesus. Jesus thank you, Lord God, for his work. Thank you that in Jesus we have perfect security and satisfaction. Would you help us to reflect and be enabled to love you and love others because of what Jesus has done for us? I thank you for this world and the good things that you've made, all the great pleasures and joys of this world. (laughs) Would you help us, Lord God, to reflect and to live and to enjoy those pleasures with thankfulness, with great joy, but help us not to find our satisfaction and hope in them but in Jesus. Would you help us to fight putting ourselves first and being inward focused and help us to live for you and your glory and praise and honour as we were made. We're so thankful for you, Lord God. Amen.